Thanks for pressing play. We live at a time when there's a lot of dumb and sometimes unquestioned business and life advice floating around on the Internet. There's, of course, an avalanche of pablomatic stupidities from hustle porn stars. Um, things like, oh, hustle's the most important word in the English language and never take a day off and all that stupid stuff. And then there are the inane uh, idiocies like follow your passion and, of course, the uh, tried and true fake it till you make it. Well, our guest today is the opposite of all of that. You see, she is a been there, done that Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley in New York, PR and communications entrepreneur and chief executive. And her new book is out. It's called Make It, Don't Fake It. And no surprise, it hit number one on the Amazon charts as soon as it was released. She's the grand dame of uh, PR, of tech PR. She's been inducted into the PR News Hall of Fame. And uh, I have known her and worked with her off and on for over 20 years. She's the legendary Sabrina Horn. And what you're about to hear is a fun, no BS dialogue about what success really takes with a woman I completely adore. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. We are a real dialogue podcast for people with a different mind. Podcast Magazine says we are, quote, the best business podcast, end quote. And there are some Apple reviewers who call us, quote, boring and, quote, overrated. My friends at NetSuite are the world's number one cloud ERP system, the legendary platform to, build, to grow you and build your business. Check out netsuite.com slash different today. My friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything. And never has it been more important to get digital than it is right now. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two the letter E. And uh, go to lockhead.com and subscribe to Category Pirates. It's our newsletter. Uh, we just found out that we broke into the top 1% of business newsletters on uh, Substack. So thank you if you're already a listener. And if you're not, it's kind of like uh, the Harvard Business Review written for and by pirates. Now, without any further ado, hey-ho, let's go. So, Sabrina Horn, how are you? I'm good, Christopher. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm very excited to spend this time with you. I've been looking forward to it for the last three weeks. Really? I really, ha I really have, because we, we have such a, a history. We do have a history. It's over 25 years. It is. Is it? Has it been that long? Well, I met you soon after I came within 10 minutes of getting off the plane at SFO. And so uh, that was at least 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Time flies, huh? Yes. And I will never, ever forget uh, the schooling that you gave me the first time we had lunch. <laughs> you remember yeah, that? I I do. And um, I watched the, the last podcast, the first podcast that we did and I was howling because because of the story that you told I very much remember it and you said to me you're the most direct communicator I've ever met and I told you what was going to happen and you were like yeah she did so and you were right I thought you were very wrong at the time when you said to me 
listen, I've been here for however long you'd been here, and there's been 223 CMOs in that time, and uh, you're not going to be here very long, and I am. So listen up, buddy. <laughs> That's sort of what you said to me. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, it, uh, but that, that was also the, the environment of that time, right? I mean, marketing people had a shelf life of 18 to 24 months, maybe maybe three years at the, at the most. Do you think it's any different today in Silicon Valley for uh, CMOs and kind of marketing leaders? I think so. I think it's, uh, it might be up to like, you know, four years now. <laughs> I, well, four I do years think should be different. good. I think the CEO average is five years. So if CMOs are getting to four years, that would be a huge breakthrough. I mean, I'm not saying that based on any research that I've seen, but I feel like in the conversations I have, at that level, people are staying in the chair a little longer. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Do you ever think about going back, Christopher? Not for two seconds. Okay. Yeah. No, I hung up my gloves. You know, come on. Yeah. Uh, I have no desire to. I got nothing left to prove. And most importantly, I, I love my life the way it is now. I get to make a difference at scale through podcasting and writing. I do still a smidge, not very much, but in very cert certain circumstances, I'll do some advising. Um, and I still enjoy that um, very much, particularly under the right circumstances. But no, I don't have any desire to do it. I don't, frankly, I don't want to work 80 hours a week. Mm. And that's what those jobs are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm at a different stage of my life like you are, right? I'm in the throw down the rope stage. Um, not continue to collect uh, merit badges stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Well, I mean, I've said this to you back then, and I said it to you the other day when we caught up briefly. You know, what you've done with this podcast and your books is is incredible. Like, you've there's such, you filled a, a hole in Silicon Valley with Legends and Losers, and now with Follow You're Different. Like, it's it's a whole order of magnitude greater. I think it's terrific. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it, it's an incredible experiment. It's one that virtually everybody who is a quote unquote expert told me would fail um, because, you know, who has time to listen to an hour long business podcast? Business people are busy. You need to edit that shit. Take out the, take out, you, you need to focus on the value bombs, mm -hmm. you know, and all this other insanity. And the truth is, you know this better than I do, given given what you do. The average business podcast is complete, as my friends over the pond say, shite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I think, actually what makes your podcast so charming. And I love some of the comments that other people have posted that don't seem to appreciate your brand of humor. But, you know, there's no BS in, in your conversations. And... um but it's also like really meaningful and thoughtful and there's practical advice in there um, for people. So I hope you, you know, never, never stop doing that. I don't plan to. Um, I love the conversations too much. I really do. You know, the people that I get to talk to are incredible and I learn a ton. And as you know, I'm dyslexic. And so reading for me is a big commitment. But as you can see by the posted notes <gasps> in your book, you know, I read the books. You know, yeah. 
because the only people I have on are people who I think are doing great work, who I'm curious about. And therefore, you know, we have a lot of authors on. I read, I don't know, 30, 40 books a year. And that's a big commitment as a dyslexic. But I get to learn from you and I get to learn from, you know, Stanley McChrystal. And I, I get to learn from Jim Campbell, who, mm-hmm. you know, literally wrote the book on Madoff and, and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for reading it. Well, thank you for writing it. And, um, you know, really, I'm made happy just by the title. (laughs) Because, as you know, I'm a student of language and languaging. And there's so many asinine things we say that most of us never think about. And in business, uh, fake it till you make it is right at the top of that idiot asinine hill. You bet. And actually, do you remember you helped me finalize the title? Remember I did a title survey and the oh, original. I don't remember that. What did I yes. say? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you helped me turn it around. Originally it was, uh, don't fake it. You won't make it. And you said, Sabrina, you got to flip it around. And so we, we ended up with make it, don't fake it. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm glad I helped you with that. Cause Putting the positive first yes. is more empowering, is more, you know, enlivening, encouraging. Yes. And and my publisher, Barrett Kohler, very much agreed with your suggestion. And there were two or three other people who said, Sabrina, don't lead with a negative message. Make it more positive, make it action-oriented. And then the subtitle, leading with authenticity for real business success, sort of, explains it and is more action oriented, right? There's hopefully an outcome there, which is being successful. (laughs) Yes. The other thing I love about what you've done here is it's almost sort of a hybrid book. It has elements of memoir in it, right? Because you tell a lot of stories and you do a lot of first person situations and how you thought about them and dealt with them. And so that's sort of a key theme in the book and then there's the learnings along the way. And so it's, it reminds me a little bit in that way of uh, Yvonne Chouinard's book, the founder of uh, Patagonia. He wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing. And it's kind of half business philosophy and half kind of uh, memoir, his life story. And it's sort of an interesting sprinkling of those two kind of concepts. And it, it felt that way to me. I'm glad that it does, because that was my intent. The stories of my profession and my career bring the message that I wanted to deliver to life. And I didn't want to write a a book and do a ton of, you know, external research and take years and do surveys. I thought, I've got 25 years of running a company. That's my research. So I'm glad that you think that because I did want to tell the stories that some of which were fantastic and some of which, which, um, were absolutely horrible. Uh, right, right off the top in the very early part of the book, the story you tell about going to Squaw Valley uh, made me <laughs> literally pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. So true. You know, But that's like, what happens when we fake it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're exposed. And that's why that mantra, fake it till you make it, is initially, which was sort of an innocent, like tongue in cheek little quip, right? Has, has become like a way of doing business, a way of living. 
and it's an it's a really bad excuse for bad behavior and it's not just uh, you do it at work you, you you do it in your personal life and you, nine times out of ten you get caught well and so one of the beauties of the book and it comes through loud and clear is hey do your homework get ready when you show up to the meeting have your shit together be a professional get your shit handled and of course mm-hmm. look we all do things where we get over our skis and we're taking risk and we're pushing ourselves and all that which is fine that's called growing but that's very different than what has come to be uh, fake it till you make it yes i mean that's absolutely right and jeffrey moore kind of alluded to that in in the forward that he wrote there's a difference between taking a risk and doing your best right versus exaggerating the truth on purpose or leaving out certain facts, which are usually at the expense of someone else. That's when you're crossing the line and you're undermining yourself with that, right? And you think that you're doing it to get ahead, but actually you're just setting yourself back. Well, and just like yourself, and I I love how real and raw you are, it's hard to write a book with leading with authenticity in the subtitle and, and maybe not be as raw as you are. But, you know, that story where you essentially lie about your skiing ability and then he takes you up on one of the gnarly runs at Squaw and now all of a sudden you're, you're begging for the ski patrol in a helicopter. And, of course, he sees you and you're outed as being a fraud and now you're yeah. a fraud. Yeah. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we never went out on a second date. <laughs> That's what happens. It's so funny. It reminded me of an experience I had almost identical early in my career. You know, of course, I have no education, so I I had a big hole to to try to fill. And I can remember being in a meeting uh, at about probably 20 years old and uh, trying to bullshit my way around a technical topic with a CIO. And he just wouldn't stop asking questions. And you know, I could go one level deep, maybe. And he just exposed me for being a fraud and, and ripped me to shreds in this meeting. And rightfully so. And I said to myself afterwards, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I've been in meetings like that too, right? Where uh, a few years in, 10 years in, you meet with a prospect and they they assume that you kind of know a whole lot more than maybe you do. And they start going off about their technology and, you know, I'm sitting there just nodding my head like, yep, uh-huh, yeah. And then, you know, when they say, do you know, you know, so-and-so, oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, like, boy, I'm going to have to, like, do my homework after this meeting is over. And it never feels good. And, and the people who are in the meeting with me are watching me basically fake it. And what message does that send to them, right? It's just too stressful. The bottom line is life is too short to, to play those kind of games. And most often we don't, we don't come out and say, no, I don't know that person, right? I, I, and I really don't understand your technology. Tell me more, or maybe we can take this offline. Like, why are we so afraid to just be honest? It's a great question. You know, I remember early in my career, I tried to hide my dyslexia and dyscalculia and dysphuclia. (laughs) And people are so shocked when they discover that you can't do these things, right? That 
I mean, I, I can't do division at all. I can barely do any math. When, when, when you and I go out to dinner, hopefully very soon now, mm-hmm. um, yes. you know, if, if I'm trying to calculate the tip on the bill, I, I need to ask for help. I certainly need to ask for help adding the tip to the bill. And so, yeah, you get to a place in your career where you're like, why would I hide this anymore? This is bullshit. I'll just tell people the truth. Hey, I'm dyslexic. Can you give me a hand with this? It's just not that big of a deal. And it's not that big of a deal to say, hmm, I'm not sure I got what you just said. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, right. So, I mean, that's kind of the underlying message of the whole book, right? Is if you're an entrepreneur or you're CEO or you're a young executive moving up the ladder, you know, you don't have to fake it to make it. A, you'll be exposed and it'll set you back. But the truth of the matter is that being authentic and honest these days is so refreshing <laughs> that it'll actually earn you more points and it draws people in. And the bottom line is that you, you have what it takes to make it. You don't have to play these little games that particularly in the tech industry have has just become like wallpaper. Yes, they stack bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, if I may, like that coming from, you know, a career public relations person like myself and PR being known for the spin factor, I thought that I might have a a certain perch from which to say like it's it's all about the truth, people. It's all about going home, going to bed at night and putting your head on the pillow and feeling like you 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 did the right thing by everybody. You did right by your kids, by yourself, and you don't have to live with the anxiety of waiting to be exposed. You know that that's another byproduct of that. So it's funny you bring that up. I just have the the conversation on my mind and his book on my mind, Jim Campbell's book on Madoff. One of the questions I asked him because he has over four hundred pages of correspondence with Madoff from prison, right? So he got. He got to know him at that stage of his life better than his children knew him. And one of the questions I asked Jim was, how, how the fuck does Madoff sleep at night knowing you've ripped all these people off? And it's clear that Madoff thought that any minute now the cops were going to get him. He was investigated five times by the SEC and exonerated each time. But to your point, when you're a fraud, I, I don't know how you put your head on the pillow. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I, look, I've, I've made mistakes, right? You're, you've been awfully kind in your praise of my career and what I've achieved, but like I made a lot of mistakes too, and I'm not perfect. And I was one of those people who exaggerated the truth in one of the examples I gave in my book, you know, after the recession of 2008, 2009, you know, we, we used a lot of our cash reserves to make ends meet. And so we needed to go out there and I had to bring home the bacon and big time. And so we led this pitch. I led a pitch to a little FinTech company here on the East coast. And it was a huge deal. It was probably one of our all time biggest deals we ever pitched half a million bucks, integrated marketing campaign, all the bells and whistles, you know, you name it, we can do it. Right. And we walked in and these two co-founders were sitting there and they asked me all these questions, you know, do you have the resources to do this? 
Absolutely. We'll, we'll put our best people on it. You know, meanwhile, I'm thinking my, my two dogs, you know, they could freelance for a while, maybe, you know, chip in, write some copy. And, you know, can you get us in the Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Whatever. And I thought we just had to win the deal. We just have to win this deal because then I have a lifeline to like, maybe, you know, the end of the quarter, it'll make things easier. And we lost pieces of that business until we lost it all because we didn't have the people. I couldn't find them fast enough. And when I did, I couldn't bring them up to speed fast enough. And it was so embarrassing that we made the VP of marketing look bad for hiring us. And I, I, I just felt like, God, this is not me. This is not how I operate. And we weren't being true to our core values. And my employees looked at me like, well, that sucked. You know, now we just have to go out and replace that business again. So. Right. And, you know, this is why I love your message now and your book now. Those cheats, I think we're at a point where declaring the word hack gone, it might be important, right? There are no hacks, right? Here's, here's how careers work. You start off as the youngest person in the room. You end up as the oldest person in the room. And what you do in between fucking matters. Exactly. And you got to do real shit. There's no hack. You know, it's like I, I get invited to these things all the time. They're, oh, how did you do the thing with your book and your podcast? And I'll tell you how I did it. I did the work. Yes. I, and listen, I fell for that too. I thought when I started writing and podcasting and all that, well, of course, clearly there's a 28-year-old or maybe even 16-year-old growth hacking genius that you hire and they do some swizzle stick bullshit on TikTok and Instagram and I don't know what, and you pay them enough money and bada bing, bada boom. All that's a complete lie. And yeah. yes, are there little things here and there that can, yeah, sure there are. And, and learning some of those techniques are important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no secret, right? Do no. the work, produce legendary results. Uh, become known for something that you can own, a niche that you can own. And then one day you wake up and you're Sabrina Horn. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I couldn't agree more. Like it is all about doing the hard work. And when you're an entrepreneur and you want to run a startup, you're under constant pressure to deliver on many different things. And that's where, you know, like that's where the short hacks can start to appear. Right. And I think that there is sadly a generation of maybe they're Gen Zers or millennials who were very much inculcated with the fake it till you make it meme. And when it turned the corner and became business advice, it's like they didn't read the memo that integrity still matters. And it's all about the long game. If you are an entrepreneur and you want to start a company, you don't be a flash in the pan. You're going to burn everybody's money. You're going to burn out your employees and your, your reputation will suffer. Nobody will want to invest in you again, unless maybe you move like to another country. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's just not a recipe for success. And somewhere along the way in the last five to 10 years, we've lost our way in, in believing that that, that that is the right way to do things. And the right way to do things is really hard fucking work. This is why I, one of the machines that I rage against is personal branding, because what that has become is a fabricated presentation of oneself that is deeply inauthentic, that is trying to achieve something quickly. What you want is a reputation. 
And a reputation takes time, right? And so this fake it till you make it thing is damaging. And on one hand, it's okay to be over our skis. But on the other hand, when you know as a PR executive and entrepreneur, you're going into a meeting, you better be prepared. You better know who these people are. You better know who their competition is. You better understand who their VC, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and so how do we teach people, Sabrina, that, you know what? You got to get prepared. If you want to be the woe man, you got to be the woe man. If you want to be an, an Olympic champion, you got to train and eat and sleep like an Olympic champion. There is no fucking hack. Do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is, do you want to win? <laughs> like, yeah, you can't fake winning it. Like, it's just realizing that, you know what, folks, life, life is, can be hard and being excellent is hard work. And so in a way, like preparing for these sorts of things, when I was 29 years old and had no company and no money and I wasn't even in business yet, right? I was pitching PeopleSoft was the company and it was just me, myself and I. And I I thought about every question they might ask and every question I was afraid to answer, more importantly. And this is a technique commonly used in in crisis management, right? Where you have to be prepared for the worst, for the unimaginable and be able to answer those questions and no comment is not an option. Um, and, and lying is not an option because the, then you've opened the door for failure. And so if you're starting off, like it's really important to know who your target customer is. This sounds so obvious, but you have to be focused on what you can deliver. If, if they say, well, can you do this? Oh yeah, sure. Can can you offer us this? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. We can do that. Well, you know, you can't. So focus in on the three or four things your core value proposition, the core things you can do really well. And if they ask you those questions, you can say, you know what, that's something that we're going to offer next year. Or that's something that I can partner with these two other companies with to help you with. And guess what? If they don't end up, if they end up not hiring you because you don't have certain things, then they're, maybe they weren't the right customer for you in the first place. There's a right customer at the right time for the right solution that you're offering. And just because you don't have it now, does it mean you have to strap it on and fake it? Amen. Hallelujah, sister. (laughs) Um, And and the other thing is um, knowing who's not our customer, I believe is more important than knowing who is our customer. Because if we're, if we're clear who's not our customer um, then we know who not to spend time with and not to pay any attention to and whose feedback to completely discount. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, um, absolutely. Um, I have many examples and experiences with that where, hey, Sab, you know, we should pitch IBM or we should pitch, you know, SAP or let's win the Oracle account, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't want the Oracle account. You don't even want a piece of the Oracle account. And and then it's like, well, why? Like that would be so much money. And it's like, it's not about the money. You know, it's it's about being able to do 
great work and yes, to be paid for it, right? But to be successful at doing the work or to make your customers happy with the product that they just bought from you. It takes time and it takes love. It takes attention to detail and nurturing those relationships and making them grow from where they started. The interesting thing about this, and this is something that took me a long time to learn, particularly those of us who are very type A, we're outcome oriented, we're results oriented, we're driven to produce something and the sooner the better, right? Urgency, urgency, urgency. And all those things I think are incredibly valuable. And if you're somebody like me and you you grow up with uh, a modest background and you don't have anything, you want a little outcome in your life. Maybe it would be nice not to drive a shitty car or have a car for that matter. Right. So I, I get that. And there's some value to that. However, you do get to a place where you realize, hey, you know what? The real reward is doing legendary work with people that you love every day. That's the reward. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so as a service firm, we took just as much pride and had so much fun with the small clients where there was a great working relationship and a partnership. And that's an overused word, but right where we were in it together and where my employees were indistinguishable from their employees, because we knew so much about their company that we could tell the story, maybe even better than some of their own people. And you go home and you like you have pride in the work that you did for them that day. And they call you and they send you a text and say, you know, that was great today. Like, I really love working with you. And what do we know about great business relationships? They're based on, do I like you? And do I trust you? And I, there were many times when I would say, look, give me, give me 20 of those. I'll take 20 of those over one big kahuna that's going to drive me fucking nuts and abuse my people and make us feel sad (laughs) and be late paying their bills, you know, and like, no. And, but it takes a while to get to that point where you realize, you know, you see, you see the forest for the trees on stuff like that. Yeah. Now in the very beginning of the book, you put this thing in here that just made me laugh. And I think it's insightful and funny. Uh, Page 12, the fake-o-meter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so you've got useful and harmless lies all the way through to total fabrication and deception on on the other end. (laughs) And so um, you're trying to have a gradation here of of, of lies and how how problematic they could be depending on this scale, this spectrum of uh, fakeometer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the, the story about the guy who I went skiing with when I told him I could do the double black diamond. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of like a little bit more to the right. (laughs) That's like uh, outright lying. So yeah, you start off with like the, the, the fakeometer is basically like, um, you start off with innocent fibs, tall tales or little white lies. Like if I ask you, how are you today? And you say you're fine, but you know, actually you're not, and you don't really want to get into it, but you're not hurting anybody. Um, power posing is another, as another, uh, form of sort of acting as if, which is to help you boost your own confidence. You're not hurting anyone and you're not doing it at anyone's expense, <clears throat> but where you cross the line is again, where you're blatantly like lying and exaggerating reality. And so, 
for an entrepreneur who's exaggerating what his technology can do to a VC to get funding as a no-no, or um, minimizing um, the extent or the gravity of a problem kind of starts to move a little bit further to the right. Uh, you know, we have examples from Boeing, Max, the disasters, with that, the lack of transparency. Um, and then you go on over even further to what I call ostrich lies, where you're like an ostrich, you're sticking your head in the sand. And that's not really, that's not a lie. You're just avoiding reality because you're so overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You're procrastinating, delaying making a decision. And that is faking it because you're not dealing with reality. And from there you go off, you know, off the charts to like the Bernie Madoffs of the world and Elizabeth Holmes and people like that, which is just total fabrication and deception. And so I couldn't agree more. The thing that I find interesting on this sort of uh, vector into the conversation is on one hand, as entrepreneurs, as creators, as people who want to push ourselves and frankly push the world in a different direction that we think will be, will yield a powerful outcome or set outcomes. There is an element of a leap of faith. There is an element of sort of uh, being over our skis and promising a little more than we can deliver, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there is an element of that with great entrepreneurs. You know, of course, the famous jobs, reality distortion field, et cetera, et cetera. And so how do we, on one hand, be a very forward-leaning person who wants to stretch ourselves and, and potentially our organization and, and may have a little over our skis and may have a little fib in terms of what we can deliver, but authentically then be able to deliver it versus mm -hmm. Elizabeth Holmes and Bernie Madoff. How, how do we find that line? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? I think first I'll say that authenticity is like beauty, right? It's like in the eye of the beholder. And what I think is authentic, you may think is total bullshit and vice versa. So you have to decide for yourself what kind of degree of integrity and level of authenticity you want to live up to. And you also have to, you know, live with yourself. <laughs> and if you decide you're going to cross the line and maybe just once and it worked and then maybe again and again and again, and you start to lose yourself, right? That you know that's not a good thing. My advice is in those situations is to ask yourself, okay, you may not be able to deliver this capability today, but you know it's in your product roadmap. It's okay to say, you know, yeah, we're working on that. When will you have it? Well, you have to be honest. You have to say, yeah, well, it's, it's you know, two to three months. And then if it's not two to three months, you have to come back and say, it's going to take one more month than we thought. Otherwise, you're just starting to sink into this situation of lies, begetting lies, begetting lies, and you're just going down a rat hole. You have to figure out within the confines of the truth, what is the most compelling thing that you can say to earn interest and maybe establish some trust. And then you know, move through time because reality is constantly changing around you. You know, if, if reality changes and now suddenly your product is delayed or the certain capability actually doesn't work and the software has to be reprogrammed, you have to, you have to come to the table with that and be honest. Amen. Hallelujah, sister. And what it reminds me of is sort of, um, 
there are certain things that we can commit to based on our history, that of our company, that of ourselves. We've done this a thousand times. You know, somebody shows up in your office and says, hey, can you develop with us a legendary communications plan for the launch of a new company? You can do that falling off your sleep, falling off a log in your sleep, <laughs> right? So your prior performance leads you to know that that's a, that's a question that's a layup for you. There are other things where the answer is much more predicated on, if, if you will, future potential than prior <laughs> performance. Yes. And one of the things I've learned is you can distinguish those two things out for people, Right. And I, I'll find myself saying it. I'll say, well, I, I, I've done that at least 50 times. We got that, right? And then I'll say, hmm, I've never seen one quite like that before, mm-hmm. right? And, and so um, I think it's okay to tell people where on that spectrum of in prior performance, got this one nailed. And you know what? This one's a little bit different. And yeah, we have tr- a track record and some similar things and this and that and the other. But you know what? This is a place where uh, no one's gone before, and we're willing to partner with you guys on this, but uh, make no mistake, this is a big stretch. Yeah, so I love that, because that speaks to humility and vulnerability. And when you say something like that, right, it it makes me say like, wow, I really appreciate your honesty. Thank you for telling me that. And because of because you were honest, I want to reward you with partnering with you to, to make this happen. Right. And, and then everything's out on the table and everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows the deal and you can move forward together based on reality, based on what we know the situation to be. But the beautiful thing about that gesture, right. Is this is humility is not, is not like thinking less of yourself or lowering yourself because you don't think you're worthy. Humility in a leader is about being open-minded, about telling the truth and asking for help and admitting mistakes and just saying like, you know, yeah, you know, this looks a little different, but I'd love to work with you on it to figure it out. And that is a superpower of leadership. It is absolutely refreshing (laughs) these days and is the right way to sort of play with this with this notion of how honest can I be and not fake it? Well, an interesting thing that sort of showed up for me uh, as I was reading, a lot of these things are in the gray, and we're trying to find some some line. And and in this regard, what I was thinking of is, you know, when is it okay to be boastful mm-hmm. and to be talk a big game? And when should we be uh, have more humility? And I don't know that I have a perfect answer, but I, I sort of I want to say this as a volley, and we can maybe bang it around a little bit. At least I find myself I am boastful when it comes to things that I know I've accomplished, and know uh, that I know my shit about. Mm-hmm. Right. So if somebody wants to have a conversation with me about category design, I'm not confused about who I am in that world. I fucking know. Right. (laughs) Um, And I'll tell you if I need to. (laughs) At the same time, being able to say, hey, listen, even in something you're boastful in, I am world class in this thing. I am I am whatever, however, whatever your boast is, you say, and, you know, this one could be a challenge. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so there's this interesting thing that you're a person of confidence. You can stand on your achievements and your background um, and you can stand on your confidence in yourself to perform going forward. But at the same time, having while doing that, being clear about where the risks are, where yes. your concerns are. Right. Um, it doesn't mean you're not confident. At the same time, if you're the, the bigger the mission, the more risk involved in that mission, typically. Yeah. So I like how you put that. Um, and I agree that there's a fine balance to talk about with confidence what you're good at and to really stand behind it and be excited about it, right? If you don't sound excited about it, why should anybody else be? But then you balance that out with now what I see coming down the road or given the market conditions or given what the competitors are doing or just what, what, what I worry about for you, whoever you are, are these things. And this is where I think we need to put our heads together to make sure that we're successful or whatever the situation is. And in business, right, you're constantly sort of doing what you're good at and looking forward and looking at opportunities and threats down the road and doing risk assessment. And in a way, that's what public relations is always about. It's about assessing the risks based on reality, right? And what you see and, and looking at the threats and opportunities coming your way. And so that, that sort of candor expressing that, like, here's what's great, but you know, here's a couple things that like my antennas are up about. That's where the value is. That's where relationships are created and built based on trust. Absolutely. You know, I had this conversation um, yesterday with an entrepreneur that I'm helping. Hmm. And I said, we are going to build a hundred billion dollar publicly traded category dominating company. That's what we're fucking doing. (laughs) Right. And I pretty much said it exactly like that. (laughs) And then we immediately shift to, and holy shit, do we have a lot of work to do. (laughs) And oh, by the way, uh, we are trying to redesign one of the biggest, most high profile categories in tech to wrestle it away from one of the biggest dominating companies in technology. And um, we're deluding ourselves if we think this is going to be easy or we think it's going to be fast. But make no mistake, that's exactly what we're going to go do. And that's sort of the in that conversation, I'm trying to walk that line. Right. Right. But see, you're being authentic, right? You're not faking it there. You're, you're laying out the groundwork for here's the goal, but you know, here's what it's going to take. And as long as you keep doing that, it's as much as keeping other, other people in check too. Like when an entrepreneur gets out over his or her skis, yeah, we're going to do this. And -and so-and-so told me that if we're going to be successful, we need to do this. Well, no, who the hell are they? You know, don't listen to them. What What is your mission? Like, is is that based in any sort of fact? Right? It's it's you. Know, it's hard, right, to not be affected by that kind of social peer pressure, right? When you see everybody else doing this and that, and you're sitting there, and you just came off of a bad day, and you know maybe you had a bad meeting with a VC, and it's like shit. I should just, I should just lie. I should just, you know, do this other thing. And um, you, that's when you have to be strong to your convictions, right? And 
go back and look at like, okay, yeah, no, actually what we are doing really does matter and, and is, is still solid. And that's when talking to people like you and other mentors and having that group of people in your life, call them mentors, call them champions, whatever they are, people who are going to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. It's interesting you say that the entrepreneur I was just mentioning is a very well-known entrepreneur who built, uh, you know, with the team, one of the highest profile successes in the last uh, 10 years or so. And uh, as we were talking about working together, and I respect what they've done and honor it tremendously. I mean, it's what these guys have done is just stunning in their prior company. And when we first met, you know, I was very respectful about that and mazel tov and all that. And now I don't really give a fuck anymore because now we're talking about the future, right? I acknowledge what you did in the past. Absolutely. And so I start poking holes in, in their product, in their strategy, uh, of course, in their category discussion, the whole thing. And I start nudging them on this. And what about that? And what about that? And, and friendly, and we're having a back and a forth in a very early stage company, right? Anyway, um, when we decided to work together, one of the things the founder said to me was, we have talked to dozens and dozens of people about coming and helping us in one way or another, VCs, advisors, of course, people joining the company. And he said, uh, we have not had anybody push us as hard as you did. Mm -hmm. And a problem that we have is our prior success makes people kiss our ass. And you really don't seem to give a fuck. <laughs> and I said, well, I respect what you did tremendously. Yeah. And as it relates to the future, I don't give a fuck. I give a fuck about what's going to build a hundred billion dollar plus publicly traded company that dominates a new category and helps take out one of the most evil companies in tech history. Yeah. Well, look, what got you to where you are, isn't going to get you to where you want to be at the next stage. Right. And it's just like when, you know, you meet people and they've joined your company and they keep saying, yeah, you know, when I was at the big kahuna company, we did this and we did, a, and I hear it like 10 times a day. When I was at the big kahuna, we did it this way. When I, and it's like, you know what? You're not there anymore. You're here with me now. And what worked there doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work here. So you have to take like experience matters and certainly expertise, but you're so right, Christopher, like what got you to, to where you are today isn't going to all get you to where you want to go. You have to take the best of all of that and leave the rest behind. Yes. Now, one of the things that sort of gets surfaced in, in your new book is something we hear a lot about today. And it's something that uh, uh, pisses me off on a pretty regular basis. And that's this thing called imposter syndrome. Oh gosh. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh, how do I deal with my imposter syndrome? How do I, and there's all these blogs <laughs> and all these things. And, oh, how do I, how do I, how do I, and, and in a lot of ways, your book is, Hey, you know how you deal with imposter syndrome? Don't be a fucking imposter. <laughs> yes. Right. I read all this stuff and I want to just say, Hey, listen, don't be an imposter. Do the homework. Do the research. 
Get prepared. Train. You know, look at what athletes do. Look at what the military does, right? Know you're going to win when you get on the playing field. And so when it comes to, you might feel imposter syndrome in the beginning of something. You say, oh, somebody wants to give me a big job or a big promotion. Maybe I don't feel ready. I relate to all that. We've all had experiences along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I understand there are things that we can do to kind of get ourselves ready to take an exponential leap in our career. And, And those are important things. However, my belief is if you feel like an imposter, then do what you need to do to make sure you're not an imposter before you get on the the ice where the game's going to go down and you have to be not an imposter. You have to be an expert. You have to be a leader. You have to be a doer. You have to be a decision maker or whatever the thing you have to do is. But I'm curious as to your reaction. <laughs> How do you really feel about it? <laughs> Sorry, I did. Did I just go up? Did I just go off there? It's okay. It's, uh, I, in a way, I kind of feel like you do. Um, it's a very hot topic right now. And it, imposter syndrome affects both men and women, but in particular women. And so let's start off with like, okay, the basic definition of imposter syndrome is this really terrible feeling that you're undeserving somehow of your success and that you'll be exposed for a fraud, that your success is due to good luck or good timing or because somebody did all the work for you. And there's different ways it can manifest itself, right? I I had it and I didn't I did not write about this in the book. I only maybe alluded to it, but it was a big lesson for me. And I'll share this the story, if that's okay. Sabrina, I'll follow you down any zebra hole you want to go. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you. So when I sold the Horn Group to Fen Partners, right, after 20 years of being my own boss, I never had a boss. And all of a sudden, like a Friday, I was the CEO of Horn Group. And Monday morning, I was the managing partner of a global technology practice for a $100 million company called Fin Partners. And all of these people, almost anointed me with this sort of quasi-celebrity status. And there were all these people on my email and they expected great things from me as they should. But I, I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm not what these people think I am. I just ran my little company for 24 years and I worked with these companies and I, I know what I know really well, but I don't know what they're thinking about me. And what are their expectations of me? And there was one day, I'll never forget, where I was in a meeting with some people from Accenture. It was a new business pitch. And there were people from my old team and then people from Finn Partners around me who I had just met that morning and who were sort of looking me up and down like, okay, give us the show, Sabrina. You know? And the wizard's I, here. The we're wizard's see the here. magic show. Yeah. And Christopher, I struggled introducing myself. I I struggled telling someone else's story. It wasn't my story anymore. It was their story. I struggled even saying what my title was. And I didn't know what imposter syndrome was, but I'm pretty sure that was it. And it sucked because I felt like I was on another planet. I wasn't comfortable in my own clothes. I wasn't being successful. And I just wanted to push the reset button. And and not that you know, the merger was very successful and everything worked out, but it really messed with my head. And 
So to stop feeling like an imposter, the first step is to stop thinking like one, as you said. And you know what you have to do? You have to write down and better yet, like record and then play it back your achievements, the the incredible feats that you accomplished, the deals that you won, not, not the ones you faked, <laughs> the you know, the ways that you helped a client through a crisis, the way you helped an employee through a personal situation, like write all that shit down and play it back to yourself. And then secondly, what I did was I developed a technique and I call it watching myself in my own movie. So I'm basically like imagining, like pre-imagining a certain situation, a meeting, and I'm the director behind the camera and I'm filming myself. How do I want to come across? What do I look like? How am I standing? What, what am I saying? And how do I want that to, how do I want that to be received? Right? Like basically what does success look like? And that technique that I developed, um, and that and talking to a few people who, you know, were like, Sab, come on, you know, this is, this is, if all you need to do is go in there and do these three things, you can do that, right? You're, you're losing yourself, but you're okay. But then, I I got over it. And it took time. So first of all, thank you for sharing that with me, Sabrina. What I wonder is, is that imposter syndrome? Yes. You think it is? Yes. Because when I hear you say it, and I, I mean what I'm about to say with tremendous love, <laughs> I want to kind of shake you and go, hey, 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 yeah, lady, look at me in the eye. You are Sabrina fucking Horn. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And so what that reminds me of, you you didn't have imposter syndrome because you didn't think you were up to being who you needed to be in that meeting and being the one that everybody was looking at. You had, what you, you were experiencing was a shift in your identity and you didn't know what the new identity was because you weren't the founder CEO of Sabrina Horn. Uh, horn group anymore that's what it sounds like more to me than what i think most people mean with imposter syndrome which is i'm afraid they're going to find out that i don't need to uh, i shouldn't be here uh, when in that example you just gave it would be hard to argue that you shouldn't have been there but i'm curious tell me how that sounds to you yeah i mean i think the answer is that there's a lot of different forms of imposter syndrome and i mean a lot of the research is being done about this now and psychological studies and articles coming out in Harvard Business Review, right? It's like the topic du jour. There's a spectrum of imposter syndrome. You can be faking it and exaggerating the truth for a period of time to the point where you're sort of not who you originally were, right? That in and of itself is a definition of being an imposter, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you have this shattering moment where you realize that you're not deserving of your success because you faked it all, all along the way. Another version of imposter syndrome is you have achieved success, which you could argue I did, but the situation around you has changed, right? New company, new job, um, whatever. And, and all of a sudden you think like, I can't deal with this reality. I don't know how to relate to it. And, and I think I'm, I think I'm faking it. I think I'm a fraud. And what happens then is that if it gets really bad, it can lead you 
to lying because you think you need to cover up for yourself. You think you need to say certain things that, that you're not. So faking it can cause imposter syndrome. Success can cause imposter syndrome and then lead you to fake it. So there's a lot of different, you know, shades of gray here, so to speak. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I still, um, if you had called me before that meeting, um, <laughs> I would have tried to remind you who you are. And it actually leads me to something that I, I, I think about. When I'm going to go give a big speech or go into a very big meeting, or go into a big podcast, I will take a moment with myself and I will have a conversation with myself and remind myself who I am and what I'm going to, what I'm about to go do. And it's not quite visualization. You hear athletes talk a lot about the power of visualization. I think it's very cool. And I think you can use it in your life and your professional career. It's not quite that, but it's like, I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to fucking lay this thing down and it's going to be legendary and I'm going to be proud of myself. And most importantly, it's going to make a very big difference for them. Mm -hmm. And so I've trained myself over the years heading into what most people call a high pressure situation to pull myself aside and remind myself who I am. And I really notice it with speaking and with podcasting. You know, I, I listen to the same song. Before every podcast, <laughs> I uh, know Motorhead's you cover yeah. of David Bowie's We Can Be Heroes, and it gets me ready to go. And it's yeah. my way of reminding myself, like, hey, we can be yeah. heroes just for one day, and we're going to go for it here. And I am ready. I've read your book. I know who you are. Of course, with you, it's different. But, but you know, when we have a big-time author on, like um, like a Jim Campbell who wrote the Madoff mm -hmm. book, uh, th those kinds of people, I, I know I'm ready. And so yes. I can relax and be in the moment mm -hmm. because A, I've done my homework. I'm not faking it. And B, I have this conversation, this pep talk with myself. And then I stop thinking and I just be in the moment and, with it. Yes. Right. You're, that's absolutely the right approach. It's, it's, first of all, it's doing your homework and being smart. Um, if you don't, if you don't do that game over, like don't even try, you know, you can't, half-ass being prepared. I cannot stress it enough. Whether it's a sales pitch or you're getting ready to give a speech to your employees, you've got to cross every T and dot every I. And maybe that sounds boring to people, but it's the God honest truth. And you'll be more confident in yourself knowing that you did all your homework, right? It's what do we know about the unknown? It's scary. You conquer the unknown with the known, and that's all based in information and data. It could be one snippet of, of data, right? That you get. And it's, it's the one thing is like, yeah, that's good. That's really good. I'm going to use that. And then you do, you look at yourself in the mirror, like, you know, with all that I have and all that I am, I'm going to let you guys hear my story. And you know, you may disagree or whatever, but like, I have something important to share with you. And I'm just a vessel that is conveying this information. And I hope it makes a difference. Um, and, and then with that, with that kind of energy right behind you and also your physical presence, right? The chances are you're going to, you know, have a pretty good experience. Yes. Never half-ass it, always full-ass it. Full ass it. You're going in full ass, <laughs> yeah. not half ass. Um, there's, so there's a ton in there I want to get to, but you mm -hmm. said something right at the end about your physical presence. 
Yes. Maybe say a little bit more about that, Sabrina. Yeah. So, you know, in, in public relations, I've had the opportunity to coach many a client and, um, we coach them for what they're saying, but the messaging of course is important and, um, how they're interacting with people that they're presenting the information to. And then of course the physical delivery and, uh, your physical presence. That's really a lot of secret sauce, right? I I liken it to you've got your salad, right? And the salad's pretty good. You got some good ingredients in there. But without the salad dressing, it's kind of boring. You need the salad dressing. And the dressing is <laughs> the dressing is a smile and you're connecting with people, you're looking at them in the eye. And of course, talking to a room of 500 people, something which I think many of us are looking forward to getting back to, is different than talking to one person across the table, and some meetings are formal and some of them are not. But body language is everything. How your body is turned to another person. If there's somebody sitting next to me, I'm not just going to look at them like this and talk to them. I'm actually going to turn my whole body to them and look at them and make gestures that are pointed at them. And I'm going to look down at their shoes and I'm going to say, God, you look great today. You know, and I'm going to say, tell me, tell me what you think about this. And I'm going to point to them and I'm going to open my arms and I'm going to smile. And you know, all of that, it's part of the total package, but it makes such a difference. Well, and so a bunch of things on that. I think one of your um, most powerful attributes, Sabrina, is your physical presence. Uh, I mean, I've seen it. You walk into a room and maybe not everybody in the room even knows who you are. But when you walk in the room, everybody in the room knows a motherfucker just walked in the room. Yep. And so um, did you cultivate that physical presence? Um, Not. Um, I would say, yes, I did, but, but not intentionally. I got irritated when I walked into a room and nobody would notice that I was there, especially as perhaps the only woman in a room full of men. Um, and so I decided that I had to carry myself and I'm going to look around and see who is going to notice that another person has walked into the room and then I'm going to connect with that person. And then I'm going to walk up to them and then other people are going to see that and they're going to say, who's that person? Who's that woman over there? And I just just determined like nobody is going to treat me like wallpaper because I've got something to say. So I carried myself differently. I um, never decided that I, you know, I wasn't going to like be standing there like, you know, being on my phone, pretending to do something because I, I didn't know how to talk to somebody like that, that takes some courage. Um, but over the years you learn how to network with people, you know, how to walk up to someone you don't know and just sort of stand there and like start to listen to a conversation and maybe be invited into it. There's so many techniques to that, but you are right that I, I do like to walk into a room and I like to be noticed because I have something to say. If I'm walking into a room just to be noticed with nothing to say, that's a different problem, you know. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's an art to that. I, I have to 
agree. And maybe what advice, you know, because one of the things you hear, at least I hear from women sometimes is they don't want to be overconfident. They don't want to walk into a room and have the kind of presence that you have because, you know, it's okay for men that's strong and confident, but if a woman behaves that way, they're a bitch and so forth. And so did you ever worry about any of that? No. <laughs> that's no. what I <laughs> No, because I'm not a bitch. I'm... I mean, maybe that's the assumption that people have, but, and so then I'll make it my mission to prove them wrong. Like just because I'm confident doesn't mean I'm a bitch. I'm a nice person and I, I have something to say and I'm happy to admit when I've made mistakes, but, um, shame on me if I don't exude confidence that I have, I'm not being, wouldn't be authentic to myself. That, that's, you know, that's an issue. Like women need to stop victim playing the victim or thinking that they need, that they are a victim. It's the difference between feeling and thinking. If you don't want to feel that way, stop thinking that way. Right. And it's interesting. Uh, I have some of the younger women entrepreneurs I've met in the last little bit. They do feel different. Mm -hmm. They're not worried about that. They're, they're very strong. They're very clear. And they don't seem to be concerned about coming across in some negative way that, um, you know, women, some women have historically felt that if they're overconfident, they're, they're, they're going to be bitchy and all that. I've even had people tell me, hey, don't have too many women on the podcast because people don't like listening to female voices. What? Uh, people have said that to me. You have too many women on your podcast. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Stop listening to the podcast. Then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do you think that these younger women are who are appearing to be more confident? Is that a, like the a Gen Zer kind of new generational thing, or yeah, uh, millennial? Mm -hmm. You know, millennials are now well into their thirties, right? And so, um, not so much the generation behind that, but the the entrepreneurial women who are you know somewhere between twenty eight and and early forties. I'm noticing they feel a little bit different. They don't seem to be. It's just my assessment. So it's not based on data. And one in particular I talked to recently and I just sort of said to her, I said, hey, mm -hmm. you know, you're really a, a very powerful woman and this is a hot topic and we're not that f far past the whole Me Too discussion. And, and I just asked her, you know, how she thinks about it. And she said, she really doesn't. She just is herself and this is mm -hmm. how she is and this is why she's right. an entrepreneur. And she said, I don't really think about it that much. And if you don't like it, you can kind of go F yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, good for her. I think another another thing that does um, play into a, how a person is wired is, in part, their social circle, their people who've influenced them and how they were raised. And I will say, you know, I've talked to you before about my parents. My parents are German immigrants. My father came to this country with $60 in his pocket. And my mother came six months later, you know, with maybe $5 in her pocket. And my parents told me like, you have to control your own destiny. There's no free lunch in life. And they were, they were chemists, they were scientists. So they didn't, they never believed in luck. You have to make your own luck. And so every it's kind of like, okay, we're just going to go balls out, <laughs> like balls to the walls. Like if the, if you're going to pitch this company and you think they might be your first client, you better damn well have everything buttoned up and you want, you want to go 150%. There's no 95%, right? 
and then and do it with, with feeling and conviction. And that's how I coached all of my clients when they were giving presentations to, to press. It's how I wanted my employees to present themselves to our prospects. And I guess you embody that sort of as a measure of confidence, right? In your physical presence. Yep. Now, Sabrina, clearly I could talk to you forever. Um, yes, and actually that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved talking with you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Are there any other things you'd want to uh, touch on before we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I'm honored that you read my book. I've loved our time together. I think what I want to convey is a message that when you fake it, you're just sabotaging yourself. Do the hard work. It takes a long time. Play the long game. Play it the right way. And decide what sort of example you want to leave for the rest of the world, like for your children and for your employees and what example, you know, you want to set. And destiny, I think, is ultimately what people will say about you once you're gone, right? And the journey is all the little detail that fills in the middle. So don't, don't fake it. Like, it's not worth it. Be Sabrina Horn. Be, <laughs> well, I don't deal. know. <laughs> Just be the real deal. Be yourself. Just be the real deal. Yeah. Just be the real deal. Yeah. Well, Sabrina, I can't thank you enough for this book. It's fantastic. And uh, the big thing I want to say thank you for is um, the last 25 years. Yeah. Well, thank you, too. It's wonderful to still be friends with you and to have these conversations. And I really look forward to having a little maybe Chardonnay with you or whatever you're. You can have a Chardonnay and I'll have a whiskey and we'll do just great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would love that. And the the sooner the better. Hopefully very soon. Yes. Anything else, Sabrina? No, I I think that's a wrap, Christopher. Thank you so much. You know, I adore you. Dare I I say I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Okay. Bye, honey. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there she is. The legendary Sabrina Horn and her new book, uh, Make It, Don't Fake It, is out wherever you get legendary books today. And I highly recommend it. I loved reading it. Now, legendary businesses, of course, are digital businesses. And over the last few months, uh, we have seen a massive difference in the companies that can accelerate their digital transformation from those who can't. That's where my friends at Splunk come in. You see, Splunk is the leader in data to everything. Splunk lets you build a more resilient organization, accelerate your cloud-driven transformation so that you can exceed customer expectations and build a legendary business. Uh, The folks at Domino's turned to Splunk to reposition themselves as an e-commerce company that happens to sell pizza. That is to say, digital first. The global chain shifted its focus to digital channels and emerging technologies, all without surrendering the personal touch that goes into every Domino's pizza. You can thrive, too, in the data age. Just visit splunk.com slash D2E. That's splunk.com slash D2E. And in times like these, being flexible and adaptable is critical to surviving and thriving. And that's where my friends at Oracle NetSuite come in. You see, with NetSuite, the flexibility is built in. You can scale up, spin off, enter new geographies, adopt new business models, 
channels, uh, enter new channels, become omni-channel, whatever you need to do. NetSuite has the flexibility built in so that you can do it all quickly and and easily. It is time to upgrade from QuickBooks. It is time to to ditch all the spreadsheet kung fu and invest in a platform that will take you where you want to go. And that's NetSuite. Visit netsuite.com slash different today. Uh, All right. (laughs) We would like to thank the legendary Sabrina Horn. You can check out her new book, Make It, Don't Fake It, wherever you get legendary books. And you can visit her on the internet at sabrinahorn.com. That's sabrinahorn.com. My friends at onelifefullylived.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out at onelifefullylived.org. My friends at bottleneck.online are the world's first dedicated distant assistant. And if you need somebody who can help scale you that's nowhere near you, visit bottleneck.online today. My friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net today. That's atre.net. And I would ask you to consider making a justice deposit. You see, when you, you, when you move some of your cash to a black-owned bank, they have more money to lend. And when they have more money to lend, they can make more dreams come true because as you know, every loan is a dream coming true. So why not open an account and transfer some of your cash into a black owned bank today in a justice deposit? All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes and this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. Make no mistake, your shares have made us Uh, what Podcast Magazine calls the best business podcast. We're produced and edited by the GOAT himself, Jason DeFilippo. Uh, You can check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J. do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Don't forget to give us a visit and subscribe to Category Pirates. You've done dumber things with 200 bucks. Show notes by GM Simon. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Listen to the Tragically Hip. Lyle Lovett was right. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Carson Sweet, CEO of Cloud Passage. Sorry, Carsey. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.